0: Interviewed Donald Trump's son-in-law former top White House aide Harrod Kushner and yeah,
1: reports yeah. that in
0: an interview last month
1: Rachel Consul... Maddow show 713 breaking news MSNMC
0: on whether Trump had privately acknowledged he had lost to in other words when Trump claimed the election was rigged he know he was lying and Trump had corrupt intent when he allegedly tried to subvert the election Also today, Jack Smith's
2: overthrow the government, more like a
0: lawyer named Tom Wyndham, spotted leaving the DC Federal Courthouse for the second time this week. Mr. Wyndham is one of the top prosecutors working on Special Counsel Smith's January 6th probe. That was a role he played even before Jack Smith was appointed Special Counsel. This afternoon, Mr. Wyndham was back in court, indicating that the grand jury is meeting. With all of these new details out of the special counsel's office, it really does seem like Jack Smith might be getting that much closer to potentially indicting Trump over his actions in and around January 6th. The clock is ticking. County, Georgia, DA, Fonnie Willis just had two grand juries impaneled on Tuesday. One of those two grand juries is expected to be asked whether or not Willis should indict Trump for his alleged efforts to overturn the 2020 election in her state. The first of those grand juries began hearing cases today. Federal prosecutors do not exactly love the parallel local investigations outpace their own. They want their evidence, their theory of the case, to be the first version that the public hears. DA Willis poses a problem for Special Counsel Smith. DA Willis has signaled that she anticipates announcing an indictment potentially as early as July 31st, gives special counsel Smith 11 business days to make his own announcement, assuming he wants to make it first. That is not the only calendar that Jack Smith has to worry about. There has been endless speculation about what the 2024 presidential calendar will mean for Smith's prosecutorial decisions. Today, we finally heard about the matter from the man himself. Earlier this week in Jack Smith's other case against Trump, Trump's alleged mishandling of classified documents down at Mar-a-Lago, Team Trump asked the judge to postpone the trial in that case until after the 2024 election. Well, today, Jack Smith's team responded, and team Trump, in their arguments, no basis in law or fact, and that the complications of a presidential candidate's trial are actually reasons to start the process sooner rather than later. He wonders if that might apply to a certain other federal Trump investigation as well. That's all to say that there are a number of reasons why it looks like Jack Smith is going to indict Trump, and soon, in the next 11 business days, soon. What exactly could that indictment look like? Luckily, we have two handy potential roadmaps here. Number one, we have the other criminal indictment Mr. Smith has already filed against former President Trump, the charges he brought against him in the Mar-a-Lago documents case. Number two, we have this, This thing group of seven highly respected former prosecutors and defense attorneys and prominent lawyers and administration officials put together a very comprehensive model prosecution laying out what they think the charges against trump are likely to be joining us now is donia perry former assistant u.s attorney for the southern district of new york and one of the authors this very weighty model prosecution. And David Aaron, a former federal prosecutor with the Justice Department's National Security Division, handles things like the mishandling of classified documents. Danya, David, I could not think of two better people to talk to you about all of this tonight. And Dave, let me start with you first. In terms of inferences that we're making based on Jack Smith's position in and around Mar-a-Lago, is it fair to look at that as a roadmap?
3: In some ways, it is. He, he, he <laughs> in some ways it's okay. a little bit of a lawyerly response, but he, he clearly looked for a streamlined case uh, yeah. in, in the Mar-a-Lago case, and uh, they focused very narrowly. Um, they didn't include a bunch of extra defendants, and they seem to have streamlined their evidence. That may not be the case. It may not even be possible in the January 6th case. Um, just the nature of that case probably involves a lot more people, a lot more witnesses, and frankly, there's a, a bigger story to tell.
0: I wanna get to the actual potential charges as written about here, but before I do that, Dave, it's purely in terms of the timing. The response today from the special counsel's office saying, a presidential election isn't a reason to slow down a potential trial, it's reason to speed it up. One would think that that logic applies to any potential criminal indictments in January 6th,
3: right? Of course, Uh, if if, uh, there's a public interest in resolving these issues uh, quickly before the election, um, that applies with at least equal force to the case that's yet to come all
0: right so donya when you when you thought about all, all of these varying factors i mean let's first start with the timing what do you think special counsel smith thinks about is concerned about what he thinks about the 2024 presidential election
1: i think you had it exactly right in your introductory remarks there's an election coming up he wants to get ahead of the cycle made that very clear in his filing today in the Mar-a-Lago case. He is also mindful of the Fulton County DA's investigation. And as you point out, federal prosecutors usually win those turf wars. And so we were looking at the calendar, too, mindful of the clock. This is why we kind of worked night and day to get this model prosecution memo, because I strongly suspect, along with my co-authors, based on many, many decades of collective experience, this indictment if it comes will be coming in the next as you say probably 11 business days so i think all that is top of mind for special counsel smith and his team of intrepid prosecutors donia let's
0: talk about what is outlined in this this magnum opus Uh, there are three charges (laughs) that that you talk about explicitly in here one conspiracy to defraud the united states that's for the fake elector scheme two obstruction of an official proceeding that's trying Uh, to stop Mike Pence from certifying the election on January 6th. And three, this is probably the most explosive just because it's been bandied about a lot and not everybody's on the same page about this, citing an insurrection and or giving aid or comfort to insurrectionists. Can you talk a little bit about that last charge and why it was included in here? Because that, from a layman's perspective, seems like the most complicated to charge.
1: Absolutely. That's why we kind of had to include it because if ever there was Case bringing this very little used statute, this is it. And as we point out in our white paper, it has seldom been used since the Civil War. And I agree with David in his remarks. This should be streamlined as the other indictment is, but it's going to be very difficult for the prosecutors to do that given the defendant here, the wealth of information, the, the possibility of so many defendants so they could keep it i think to probably two charges but they really want to bring the most apt case and is what we call the law of sui generis it's kind of stands on its own it's unique by its very nature so if ever there were a case for bringing this such a charge as i said i think this is it and if you really analyze as we spent as, as you show on the table there many many pages in the 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 facts the law the precedent this actually fits and it's probably you know it's one of the very few cases in history that does so you know i i think it's something that certainly the prosecutors must have spent a lot of time spilled a lot of ink discussing and that would to me if there is an indictment that would be the kind of the wild card decided to bring one under under this civil war era um statute
0: yeah i I mean dave what did you think about i mean what do you think what do you think about inciting insurrection but i mean honestly it is hard to retell the events of what happened that day the evidence that the public has been presented with without using the phrase phrase inciting an insurrection describing the actions of the former president
3: you're absolutely right and most of the time what i would say is it's one thing to say that colloquially, yeah. but what? How does the law define these terms? We're dealing with statutes that are, different from when people spoke differently, and there's no definition written into the statute of what is an insurrection. And how is it different from a riot? How is it different from a, a revolution? Um, I think that the uh, the proclamation, uh, the draft memo really speaks to the draft this prosecution. Most of that's not as exactly. Yeah. Sorry. Um, I, I think it does a good job of explaining how those terms would apply. And it really is the the best interpretation available of those terms. Um, so I mean, it's a pretty good case made there that this qualifies as an insurrection, something that would have to be litigated. I think there will be interesting issues around um, of the then president's mentals.
0: Well, and that's what I want to get to
3: also with you, Danielle.
0: We know that Jared Kushner has gone in and testified about whether the president had corrupt intent, whether he knew he was lying in and around his claims. The election was stolen. There are other people that have testified, inner members of inner members of the inner circle in the Trump administration. How much does it matter
1: if the prosecutors can show he had corrupt intent? As we analyzed in, in the prosecution memo, if the prosecutor brings a very narrow charge, in some way it matters not at all. If the prosecution can show uh, Mr. Trump was aware, for example, that the slate of electoral certificates that was submitted to Congress was false. That could be enough in and of itself. He knew that there was no legal authority whatsoever to put pressure on Vice President Pence um, to essentially overturn the will of voters. That could be enough in and of itself. In and of itself. If he willfully decided this crowd to an insurrection, that could be enough. So that's why, that, that's kind of the narrow case, but as a matter of jury appeal, as, as a matter of telling the narrative arc, it of course would be helpful to be able to tell the jury, to persuade the jury, and Mr. Trump at the time knew that in fact the election was not stolen and that he had actually lost the election. And from what we've heard the reporting Up until today, there are many people who will say, yes, he was aware. Mr. Kushner may have said the opposite, and there are good strategy reasons for the prosecution to call Mr. Kushner into the grand jury to tell that story, even if it doesn't actually support prosecution. It, It can draw the sting. It can help them to anticipate what the defenses will be. So there are other reasons. We don't actually know, of course, what he testified to according to reporting he testified that no in fact the president thought he had legitimately won i still think even if there are witnesses who will tell that ultimately it will not prevail for the reasons i said there's a narrow case it doesn't require proof that he knew the election it was or was not stolen but also you know, it's it's there are enough people telling him there was no proof that it was so that's more of an insanity plea than it is actually good faith defense in in my view and view of my co-authors you know what david it reminds me of the
0: bedminster tape that the the prosecution did not charge trump on right they did not charge him on dissemination just having the tape of trump acknowledging that the classified information was not his to divulge and also potentially waving around classified documents in front of people with no security clearance the court of public opinion that matters, right? That is that is the kind of evidence that the public needs to understand just how wrong the behavior was. And I wonder if it's sort of the same thing in terms of corrupt intent. Is it? Is it to just explain to the public, he knew what he was doing was wrong, and that's why we're going to trial with this? Or is it more meaningful than that? Do you, do you feel that, that that actually needs to be proven in court as part of a potential indictment? I, I think it's both. Um, I think that is also a very lawyerly answer, answer. I apologize. It's <laughs> it, it, okay. It doesn't go away.
3: Um, but the, the Bedminster tape and, uh, and and the incitement to riot or incitement to an insurrection uh, statements, they, they have something else in common, which is the defense there is some defensive hyperbole mm-hmm. or, or boasting. And so when I think about proving the state of mind, it's not so much whether the then president knew that he had lost the election, it's, was he. Willfully inciting an insurrection, or was he just talking? Was he just talking the way that he always talks? Um, was he just, you know, blustering? And so that would be an interesting line. Um, I think that there's a lot of kind of collateral evidence, evidence surrounding him about what people were saying to him and what he knew was going on at the time would really feed into that proof.
0: Do you think that Blacksmith could be making room? For further prosecutions down the line at the state level. I mean, we know he just brought Brad Raffensperger in recently, the former, uh, the, the current Georgia Secretary of State. We know, as of today, the Washington Post is reporting that Arizona is escalating its own probe into election activities in and around the 2020 election. It looks like they may have their own Fannie Willis-level investigation. This, there's a lot happening at the state level, both at the, the feds and from state-level AGs. President Trump, former President Trump, is charged, and then the investigations and the indictments continue
3: on for that. Yes. I mean, I started my career at the Manhattan DA's office, and as much as people like to joke about state and federal or federal and local, there is sometimes cooperation. And if uh, something can't proceed in one system, um, the authorities will cooperate and let it proceed in the other. Uh, The limiting factor would be really the appetite for bringing have another one of these cases yeah well that's
0: this huge million dollar question that needs to get resolved in the next 11 business days all right (laughs) tanya barry and david aaron thank you guys both for your time and great wisdom this evening we have a lot more to come tonight what it might mean to have a presidential nominee standing trial on multiple criminal indictments while he is running for president former travel buddies from showtimes the circus will be here on set all of them talk about that very weird split screen right after the break. And later this hour, Screen Actors Guild President Fran Drescher joins me as 160,000 TV and film actors prepare to go on strike tonight for failing to reach a deal with Hollywood Studios. Stay with us.
2: How they plead poverty, that they're losing money left and right when giving hundreds of millions of dollars to their CEOs. It is disgusting. Shame on them
4: known him for 22 years. When I was doing these cases in New Jersey, I would put political figures in jail. He would say to me, I could never do that. I could never go to jail. I'm telling you, no matter what he says, no matter how he's bragging and and going on and on about him not being afraid, he goes to bed every night thinking about the sound of that jail cell door calling, closing behind him.
0: There are two things looming over the 2024 campaign. Donald Trump the multiple criminal charges against him he remains the front runner in the republican field and yet there is a pretty decent chance that he will have to appear in court as part of two federal cases at the same time that he campaigns for the presidency so what does that mean for the already circus-like atmosphere of the 2024 campaign well i have just the people <laughs> joining us now are the co-hosts and executive producers of showtimes the circus my old traveling companions dear friends and Jennifer Palmieri and Mark McKinnon. This is the most number of people we have ever had on the set. On the clown. I could We're be a clown <laughs> yes. In a way, yes. Um, John, I'll start with you. Speak of class. Yeah. I mean, what does it mean? First of all, you have studied Trump, the, the political creature, for many moons now, and I wonder what you think, the specter of potential multiple federal criminal indictments, does to him as a candidate. I, I,
4: I, the thing you said in the lead-in is the truest thing hovering over the race, you know, these two things, Donald Trump and it's like I have to say, I've heard since nineteen eighty two. I have never been more or less interested in what's going on with Republicans running around the country. It's like it's a so ridiculous. It's a kabuki dance. It's, not, it's nothing to do with anything. The only story of Republican politics is He's exactly. like I mean he's he's so much the dominant figure that once people say, Oh you're gonna go to a state side and see Mike am like, what are you talking about? Like it's, just, it's not it's not relevant to to who's gonna be the Republican nominee. The disposition of Republican nomination is is really about Republican voters and Donald Trump. Yeah. Like the, the legal system and Donald Trump. And the Donald Trump of it all is everything. The rest of these people are to, to quote I've already used clowns. Compared to Kim, he's had so much power in the party, he's transformed the party as we've said for years, but really it's evident now into this huge cult of personality. And it's the MAGA party. It's not the Republican party anymore. And the legal system gets him and when all of that. But the rest of these guys, white right, people are running around, I say with all due respect, there's some serious people in the race. There's some less than serious people in the race. Yeah. There's a lot of them now. It's all sort of like, wait, like, I'm going to go pay attention to that? Yeah. It just seems irrelevant.
0: Well, I mean, I guess you're not going to the steak fry uh, with my Hence. No. But I mean, I do have to ask, Kat. The idea that Trump is going to be wounded by these indictments, I mean, maybe with a certain subset of the electorate, but as a candidate, I feel like you're going to be, you guys specifically are going to be hearing about this at every rally that he holds because he does draw strength from controversy.
5: Well, it's exactly what he wants. He wants to be the dominant piece of attention for all of us and all the media. That's what really matters to him. That's why he ran yeah. in the first place. It's not, he didn't think he was going to be elected president. He just knew it was the biggest stage, the hottest spot in the world. So he's doing it again, and the fact is that he is going to absorb all of that. Uh, he is a twice-indicted, mm-hmm. first time in 100 years uh, to not be reelected and lose the House and lose the Senate. That hasn't happened since Grover uh, and Cleveland, uh, and two indictments now. But there could be a third, and there could be a fourth. The question is, if nothing's happened after two, why would anything happen after four? But at a certain point, voters you do smart up and say can this guy win a general election and the answer is going to be no he can't you think that
0: you say that definitively
5: well i i think that after at a certain point yes i think that they're going to say this guy can't win and then he starts. that's when the blues yeah i i mean there, there's... there's going should be enough polls between now and then to say yeah he's cleaning up in the primary but he's going to get crushed in the general listen i don't understand if, if the, i mean why does no republican take
0: Date, no fellow Republican candidate. Okay. Take Chris Christie. Yeah. Other than Chris Christie, who's polling
6: at, like, 4% right now. Yeah, but he was at 1% when he started. Not that he's going to win, but, like, it shows you that there's an appetite in the Republican primary for somebody who will. You say there's a, a chance. Yeah. i Do we have time
0: to play this incredible sound from Tim Scott on Cares Morgan? Do we? Can we play it? Let's play it.
4: In the nomination, you're going to knock out Donald Trump. How are you going to do that? Well, everyone watching the show tonight can go to votimscott.com, learn more about who I am. Are you a better human being than Donald Trump? I think we all have intrinsic value in the eyes of God.
6: You've got some people who are mad that I don't love Trump 90, you know, 100% of the time. I don't love my husband 100% of the time. I mean, oh, my God. I do. I love my husband
0: <laughs> 100 you. <laughs> also weird to make an illusion be between, between <laughs> yeah. like, Donald Trump and your husband. But, I mean, teed up. Here is a chance for you to say something about Donald Trump, Trump and go to tips.com. You
6: have to be Donald Trump. That is what the Republican primary is about. And I saw had a story today that said donors are now worried that DeSantis doesn't have the juice.
5: Um, and so,
4: well, donors really sharp because the they're not the sharpest. taking
5: a look at Tim
6: Scott, like what
5: is the most fundamental thing in politics? you define mm-hmm. the differences
6: between you yeah. and your opponent if there aren't, any do say, well I'll take the original. No yeah, 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 you know, like, and no one's looking you know the, the whole theory of like these donors is that some is that people want an alternative to Trump. There's no there is no push to have an alternative to Trump. He's like as 50 percent of of the, of the primary vote right now. I want, you want challenge,
4: to challenge, challenge Tim Scotts uh, that we all have the for one thing. for yourself, buddy. Um, yeah, I, but here's the thing that's so hard about this. We, I'm in this world, well, you know, you've got to take on Trump. You've got to beat up Trump. I just, you know, the loyalty to him in large parts of a base is so intense. I, I find myself intrigued. John Ellis, um, who's a pretty smart man about, about Republican politics, keeps saying, you've got to figure out a way to hug Trump while you shiv him. You can't, like, beating him up. Not what the Republican base wants to see. Right. People are the people who vote in Republican-nominated politics, they don't want to see someone say, Donald Trump's terrible, Donald Trump's this, Donald Trump's that. They want to see someone who says like, what was used to be thought of as the gold watch strategy. Hey buddy, I made America great again. Now,
2: hang out in Florida. That's what DeSantis is
1: trying for you, off.
4: But it's, you know, the DeSantis is so obviously prime, it's, so, it's so obviously not in the prime time that <laughs> that it's kinda of like he's not the it's it's just very hard. They're trying to I find know. their way towards it, so it's like they're they can't do, they have to do some contrast. Just beating the hell out of Trump is not going to be the way that and you, you're Trump. yourself to the Republican What The yeah, Republican Party exactly. basically likes Donald Trump. We don't understand it. Yes. We all I, we I, think I, it's I, all yes, bonkers, it's but they like it.
0: They like it. Can, can I ask one question to then for Paul right? What does Joe Biden do if yeah. Donald Trump is facing multiple federal criminal indictments? He's said nothing thus far.
6: He's going to have to say something at some point. I oh, know. I don't know that he's ever going to have to say anything. I mean, I think that he just runs his. I think he just runs his race. I mean, he's, he's like the, the plan. Gonna... The, the, you know, he's, the, yeah. Why would what, what what would he say? He would say. He, what would he say? He would say there's a dangerous agenda that he that he followed. The MAGA agenda. He you know disrupted our democracy. He doesn't respect our democracy. He doesn't have to go to the indictments. I don't see why he would really ever have to be in a position where he has to comment. In a real way on the indictments. That's, That's an interesting and important caveat in a real way. <laughs> so, yeah. Because the whole argument well, is this guy is not, this guy is chaos. The I mean, indictments are another
5: manifestation of the chaos. That was the rationale for his candidacy in the first place yes. to restore the soul of America. He's That's got, what he's, got he's, got he's got to say. got a great contrast. I
0: mean, obviously we have more to talk about. <laughs> John Palman, Robert <laughs> Mary, Mark McKinnon, stick, keep your churches in the seat. Uh, because we're gonna talk much more about 2024 and the Republican War on Woke, the craziness that is presently unfolding right now on Capitol Hill as House Speaker Kevin McCarthy once again bends to the culture warriors in his party's right wing. Stay with us, we're coming back after the commercial break.
5: Say, I can't talk to you because you're gay.
0: Ag. I bet if I kissed you, you'd like it. You don't deserve to live. My parents say you're a pervert, and if
1: I beat you up, they wouldn't care. You should kill yourself. I faggot a 13 year old.
0: What do you think these kids are capable That is Lindsay Patrick Wright. Child is in the sixth grade in Tennessee, which is a state that has passed more anti LGBT laws in the last eight years than any other state in America. Question Ms. Patrick Wright is asking at the end, where do you think these kids are hearing it from? It's a direct indictment of the Republican Party. Anti-gay, anti-trans culture wars are being fought by Republican lawmakers in schools and in doctor's offices and even in the U.S. military. Right now, at this very moment, Congress is in the middle of trying to pass the annual defense budget process of trying to get this thing passed. Speaker Kevin McCarthy has been cowed by the right flank of his party, which appears to be treating the bill like a culture war Christmas tree, trying to hang dozens of amendments on the bill before passing it. Amendments would prevent the military from providing gender-affirming care to service members. It would block service members from being reimbursed for abortion care, and it would eliminate military programs that promote diversity, equity, and inclusion. The list goes on. Still with me on this big night of news are the co-hosts of Showtime's The Circus, John Heilman, Jeff Palmieri, and Mark McKinnon. I mean, Mark, Republican Party that you once worked for has changed a lot, and it's hard to articulate what the priorities are at this stage in the game other than the culture war, that
5: all of the candidates seeking higher office. Completely to. It's, it's so contrary to the message that attracted people like me across the bridge back in the, in, in the 1990s about compassionate conservatism. Yeah. I don't see an ounce of compassion anywhere. I think the problem is going to be the Republicans caught the claw on this. And that it, it is now clear that the party's been completely controlled by the fringes. That the fringes are controlling the, 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 the dialogue and the agenda. And they're just going to take it right off the cliff. And and listen, Kansas was a great example on abortion. That's one of the most conservative places in the country, obviously. And the abortion amendment that was passed there Surprised everybody, but the past there. I mean, that's 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 that should be the memo to Republicans. They just haven't done.
0: Well, I mean, tomorrow at a summit in Iowa, two of the you know six leading presidential candidates are going to be in the same afternoon session as the governor signing a six-week abortion ban into law. I yeah. mean,
6: and yet this is what Republicans are doing to other Republicans. And Ron DeSantis, uh, Ron DeSantis, tries to act like he did not. Yes, yeah, like we you know we. I know it happened at 11 o'clock at night, but you signed the six-week abortion ban. It's like it is what you were for. And you know when we went, uh, when we covered the Glenn Youngkin race in 2021, mm-hmm. and we spent time yep. in uh, Fairfax County, I think, right? With, County, Loudon. Yeah, Loudoun County with a uh, with a woman that was very concerned about critical race theory, mom. Issues seemed like they were going to dominate in 2022, but then what happened? Yeah, it's taken over the entire
4: Republican Party. Taken
6: over the Republican, entire Republican Party, and then dogs happened.
4: So, I mean, look, there's, there's, there, are culture, there are cultural issues, and there are cultural issues. You know, right. Everything's about, you know, just to be blunt about it. You know, critical race theory is you know, it's a, a very different cast to that issue because of the fact that it's not. 52% of the population is not African-American. It's like you, like the Republicans have run race, racist, they the race-free campaigns for a long time. Can, you can do that because the math works in a lot of cases. You can, you can, get you know, they have profited from it over the years. I'm not approving of it. I'm saying they've made yeah. well, a lot of
0: money. well, I those numbers are changing They are changing, far. but
4: they are still not. What this issue, what changed was the introduction of an issue where the vast majority of America, where, where, where more than half the country, what half, half the voters are women in, way more than half the country, objected to what happened in DOCS, but you still see not just that this thing in Iowa today on the House floor. There's a an amendment that's put up to take the basically effectively ban abortions in the military. Yeah. and all of the all of the New York Republicans who got elected that swung the House toward Republicans. There's five or six purple Biden districts here that went Republican in 2022, and they all voted for that for that amendment. It's not going to go anywhere. The Senate's going to kill it. So on the record, yeah. Man, every yeah. Democrat in the we in the House is going. You know.
6: Bring it on. Yeah. Bring Women that signed up to serve in the military, not a basic health care right that we've had for 50 years. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. I do
0: wonder, as we talk about Ron DeSantis, who shrewdly uh, signed his six-week abortion ban
6: at midnight with no media in the room. There's
4: two words that don't usually use. There's three words. But, you
6: know, we are hearing that donors are less
0: than... Um, Enamored of Governor DeSantis and are looking for alternatives. Rupert Murdoch, reportedly wants Glenn Youngkin to throw his hat in the ring. And I do wonder, in terms of culture warriors, do you see a meaningful difference in the way that, for example, Glenn Youngkin has handled this versus Ron DeSantis? Has he done a better job?
4: That is
5: true. Well, I listen. I mean, a lot of it is just style and demeanor. I mean, Ron DeSantis is uh, like Fernando De Saro said, it's not. Not that voters don't like him, he doesn't like voters. The problem yeah. it, retail politician And I was thinking about presidents that we've known. They love to campaign, they love people, right? Bush, Clinton, Obama. Yeah. Biden, uh, this guy just doesn't like people, and Yuncan does. I mean, he's he's kind of a sunny, you know, throwback Reagan style Republican. Ish.
0: Ish. He dips his toes in the yeah. culture war stuff. And my my thinking is that it's not it's like being pregnant. You can't be halfway there. Like you're either in a
6: in the culture war and talking about critical race theory, anti trans, anti
0: gay, all that stuff where you're not. And once Bar- you are, it's a if you
6: get into that arms race, then you're yeah you have to go in the arms, patch. They are but in the, the, Bar- Bar- is, Bar- the person the Republican candidate who talks the least about world I know. I know. Yes. Also not in Iowa yes, right now. Have to yep.
5: days. He does not. He's, He's not. asking <laughs> the same questions. So it's so focused on federal criminal indictments, what?
0: and that's the circus in which we live. Let's go do a High show. Summer. Summer. Uh, Guys, I miss you. Uh, <laughs> Come back all the time, please. I know you're so busy, but John Halliman, Jen Palmieri, Mark McKinnon, my friends, my former colleagues, Thank you for the civil reunion. I adore all of you and your wisdom as well. Are we that tomorrow? Yes, every hour the cocktails next time. The showtime, the showtime, the circus on Showtime returns this fall. Watch it. Coming up, Grand Rapture, beloved actor, comedian, and president of the Screen Actors Guild joins me to discuss the massive strike that is threatening to cripple Hollywood. Stay with us.
2: This is a moment of history. It is a moment of truth. If we don't stand tall right now, we are all going to be in trouble. We
0: are all going to be. The president of the Screen, Screen Actors Guild, actor Fran Drescher, this afternoon, we'll try and get to that sound when we can cue it up, he was announcing the union's unanimous decision to strike after four weeks of negotiations the alliance of motion picture and television computers after those negotiations failed to reach a deal on a new contract. Comcast, the corporation that owns MSNBC's company, NBC is one of the entertainment companies represented by that alliance. Midnight Pacific time this evening, nearly 160,000 actors represented by the union will join members of the Writers Guild of America who have been striking for the past 72 days for their own contract. This collective action will be the first industry-wide Hollywood shutdown in nearly 63 years. Joining us now is Fran Drescher, president of SAG-AFTRA. Ms. Drescher, thank you so much for making time this evening. I know that you have a lot going on. I'll get right to it. Um, two weeks ago, you were quoted as saying the union was having extremely productive negotiations with the studios. Can you tell us what transpired between then and now that is leading SAG to strike?
2: Well, I think that we're dealing with a lot of peripheral um, you know, issues that seem to be going well. And so, I guess, naively, I figured it would continue to go that way. But as we got closer to the core issue, it seemed like we were either being stonewalled or were further and further apart from coming into any kind of meeting of the minds. And that came as a, a, a real disappointment to me. I didn't expect it. And uh, I really feel profoundly saddened that we got to this point. It wasn't really, I mean, we did everything we could to avert a strike, including extend by 12 days in an unprecedented amount of time, and we really had to convince the membership that in earnest we thought that that we would be able to carve deeper inroads, and that was why... Uh, We felt that if we could only extend a little longer, uh, that maybe we could avert a strike. But in fact, they didn't come to the table all that often. They canceled a lot of meetings. I thought maybe they were duking it out behind closed doors, and they were actually going to come back with something of substance that was meaningful. And boy, did I get a surprise, because we got cupcakes, basically. And, you know, I think we were duped, maybe, to allow for more promotion of summer movies before the you know, struck. Wow. Can
0: we just talk a little bit about the sticking points? Because I know the, the union is uh, asking for better pay, they want residuals on streaming, and there are some concerns about artificial intelligence. Uh, can you talk at all about what is most troublesome to you about the latest bid from, from the studios?
2: Well, uh, definitely everything that you've mentioned. And artificial intelligence is a threat to workers uh, around the world. What we are doing here, um, the eyes of the world are watching. We happen to be able to get a lot of interest because of and the celebrity component of our labor force. But that doesn't mean that what's happening to us is unique. Everybody is watching to see what happens because artificial intelligence and the pursuit of feed a big business is systematically putting labor out of their livelihoods. And we see that happening uh, since the introduction of streaming as well as all different kinds of things that AI and digital has imposed on our industry. Basically, the entire business model has changed and they're still thinking that we're going to be satisfied with incremental changes from a contract that was forged in 1960, and it no longer applies. It's a completely different game. And so that became a, a mounting problem. And when you talk about what journeyman actor, journeyman performance, that is the majority of our members who are just working-class people trying to get jobs, feed their family, and to pay their rent. And this is the people that we are really going to the mat for because they are getting hurt the worst and getting marginalized uh, to an extent where it cannot be tolerated anymore. So... You know, it's, it's imperative that we don't settle for a proposal that is a minimum, which essentially ends up paying those people uh, less than what we made in 2020, real money. And that's what we're supposed to be satisfied now until through 2026. It's insanity. And those aren't the only things was based off of uh, shows like The Nanny that had great longevity and a long tail of revenue. And that was the name of the game. And everybody above the line, up and down the ladder, uh, prospered from it. But uh, now with streaming, it's not like that anymore. It's in a vacuum. You're in a box. You're walled in and there's no tail of revenue to follow. And it's not even based off of what it used to be based off, which was eyeballs and ad dollars. Now it's based off of subscriptions. So you get the amount of episodes that we used to get. I used to do 28 episodes. Now you're lucky if you get 10.
0: Everything. How do you make a living on that? I hear you on the changing nature of the industry. I mean, it bears mentioning that the Writers Guild is also striking for many of the same reasons—the disruption in the industry. The studios often say this disruption in the industry is making them rethink their revenue streams. I mean, how do you see your goals and the writers' goals uh, dovetailing? Do you think that that your your strike is going to help them achieve their ends? I know that the um, there has been some reporting. At least from one studio executive who said the studios are determined to quote break the writers' guild of America. Are you guys gonna be there to support them? I and mean, how do you be working hand in fist?
2: Let me just say that for anybody to say that shows the arrogance and complete disregard and disrespect for a community that contributes so much to the industry upon which they prosper. It's just unconscionable, a complete disrespect uh, to the people that contribute so much, and we're experiencing it too. I thought may- they would come to the table and really want to make a deal. That was not the case. Being stonewalled and being faced with a kind of resistance, that's almost irrational. I mean, it's yeah. not just about money. There are things... They want to have our background performers work one day or and get scanned for AI and then they own the likeness of the person digitally and they could use them over and over again. What is going to happen to that hardworking background person? They're going to be out of business. It, the, the, this is the, the kind of thing that's happening all over
0: the world. The issues that are being brought up are so novel and yet in some ways... Struggle is the same as it ever was. Fran Drescher, the president of SAG AFTRA, thank you so much for your time tonight, Ms. Drescher. We sincerely appreciate appreciate it. it. And
2: you know what? That's why we have unions.